0: And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts.
1: Welcome back to The Conversation. Don Scott Damon with us today. We're talking about the Freedom Challenge, 60 Days to Untie the cords that Bind You. And as we continue with this um, multi-week Bible study series... Don, I want to come back to a point that you made just before the break, and that is that there's really two things at play here. There's the thought process that needs to be changed. We need to go out with the old and come in with the new and begin to Mm -hmm. see ourselves the way Christ sees us, read the Scripture, study, meditate, memorize, and begin changing our thought patterns. But there's another issue at play here, too, and that is that a lot of people tend to also get a sense of value based on how they feel. You know, if you feel good today, you have a positive attitude about life. And if tomorrow you wake up and you're feeling kind of down in the dumps, well, there we are. How do we go about addressing that that connection that we make somehow thinking that how we feel is is rooted in our identity? How do we address that? I
2: think first of all we have to make an acknowledgement and an awareness of the fact that our our feelings are not truth they're they are fallible they're subject to change we know that they're not going to be reliable and so if i understand that and i recognize that that's the first thing i can learn to ask myself some questions i say to myself craig um so many times i'll say is that a thought will come to me you know we get Millions of thoughts a day, as I said in the first segment. When a thought comes to me, I'll say, "Is that true, God? Is that what your Word says?" And I measure it by what. How does this line up with Scripture? And if it doesn't line up with Scripture, let's say I think, um, you know, I, I did something yesterday that was. I'm really. I really feel bad about. I feel stupid. I'm so stupid. Why did I do that? W- wait a minute. First of all, I begin to think about what I'm thinking about. Am I really stupid, or do I just feel embarrassed? So I can take that feeling to God, and I can say, God, I I feel embarrassed. Would you just lift this from me? Would you show me truth? But secondly, I have to remember that a feeling is, is an event. It's not permanent. It's something that, in the moment I feel that way, but feelings must give way to truth. So I begin to tell my mind, just like Colossians tells us, And what Philippians says, whatever's true, set your mind on things above. You set your mind. You determine where it's going to go. You make that decision. I am not going to fellowship with this darkness. I'm not going to fellowship with this negative feeling. I'm not going to be a friend and have a conversation with this lie from Satan. I'm going to pull it down, and I'm going to replace it. And if I have to do that out loud, I'll say, God, thank you for your word. Thank you that I'm loved by you. Thank you that I'm righteous because of Jesus Christ. Thank you that today I'm the top and not the bottom. I'm the head. I'm not the tail. Thank you today that I'm loved by you and adored by you, and I'm your priceless treasure. Thank you, God, that I'm loved by you, and I'm amazing and priceless. And I just begin to tell myself, but it takes an intention, And that's why when we get started in this 60-Day Freedom Challenge, we make an intention. Do you really want to be different? Do you really want to change? And let's set our intention to say we're going to do this thing, and part of it is we're going to be aware. You said stinking thinking. We're going to be aware and think about what we're thinking about. Wait a minute. What is that thought telling me? And it might be telling me that I did do something that violated my own code of ethics. So rather than ruminating over how bad I am, let me just get it right. Let me ask for forgiveness if I need to. Let me go back to a person and make it right if I need to. But let me not believe the message that I'm not valuable because I did something wrong. Let me rely on God's truth. That I am forgiven, I am loved, I am adored and
1: move on. And Satan really uses this as an effective tool in his arsenal, doesn't he? And I I ask that question because we're reminded in Scripture that it is Satan who is the accuser of the brethren, and when we are walking around with feelings of guilt, feelings of shame, feelings of worthlessness, some people look at that and they almost adopt those feelings then as a lifestyle, as opposed to understanding what it means in the moment. And that our identity is not wrapped up in how we feel—good, bad, or indifferent. Our identity is wrapped up in who we are in Christ, not based on how we think of ourselves, but rather what He has done for us.
2: Right, excellent. And and God has thoughts. You know, our our self-esteem and how we how we think about ourselves, how we feel about ourselves, is coming from. Um, virtually the subconscious collection that we have of feelings opinions and labels that we've carried from all kinds of sources including ourselves and the interpretations of things that have happened to us like we talked about last time but god has thoughts he says i know my thoughts that i have towards you my thoughts are good and not evil my thoughts are to give you hope in a beautiful future so let's let's believe god's thoughts Let's say, God, let your, your intention, your thoughts be the thing that I think about and focus on. Satan also has thoughts. The Bible says we're not unaware of his schemes, or the Greek word there, thoughts. He wants us to bite that bait and believe that we're um, unworthy and all of those negative things. And he doesn't have to change his method. It works. He's been doing it for thousands of years. He knows he can send that little fiery dart into our brain, and we'll grab that, and 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 he doesn't have to bother us for a whole month because we'll beat ourselves up. God, let your thoughts wash over me today. I praise you because I'm fearfully and wonderfully made, and I receive that truth today. That's the warfare. That's the fight. That's the battle that every believer's in, but we've been promised the victory
1: learning to modify our thinking and begin to release our sense of identity based on feelings and rather adopt our sense of identity based on who we are in Christ Jesus. This is a process, as we've said. This is sort of um, layer upon layer, precept upon precept. For listeners that are joining us on this 60-day challenge journey— as we really sort of officially launch into week number one here, Dawn, Um, what are some of the key components then in relationship to identity to kind of sum up and summarize uh, for listeners uh, the, the beginning of a new foundation, the beginning of a new viewpoint, the beginning of a new sense of identity here?
2: Yes. So first thing to know is that you are who God says you are. End of story. Not who you say you are, not who the enemy says you are, not who people say you are, good or bad. You are who God says you are. Now, who does he say you are? He says you're his child. He says you're accepted. He says you are capable. He says you're holy. He says you're beautiful. He says you're forgiven. He says you're valuable. He says you're victorious. He says you're more than an overcomer. And how do we know that? Because the Word of God says it. So I accept the Word of God as being truth and as being the measurement in every thought that rises itself above that thought or that truth that God says, this is who I am. I have to cast it down and say, I do not receive that thought. I will not meditate on that thought. So this is calisthenics for the brain, for the mind, and as we do it spiritually, we also change our brain physically, biologically, and we'll begin to experience the breakthrough and the joy and the freedom that comes. So believe this, make a choice, I am who God says I am.
1: And this is really intentional, isn't it? I mean, Scripture talks about taking every thought captive. And so that's not just sort of a a, a casual one-off. This really has to be purposeful, intentional, deliberate. You talk about in the new book, Freedom Challenge, 60 Days to Untie the Cords that Bind You, uh, about one woman who literally wrote it on the mirror (laughs) so that every day when she got up, she was confronted by the passages of Scripture that helped begin this process of taking every thought captive and beginning to see oneself the way God sees us.
2: Yes, I love her testimony. I told her I was coaching this girl, and I just said, you need to write on your mirror and tell yourself every morning, good morning, you good-looking thing. And she just thought I was just crazy. But the reality was, is that her negative self-talk was so powerful that unless she wrote it down and read it, she couldn't even physically say anything good about herself. And the testimony is that through that repetition of speaking truth, releasing those words, transforming her mind, she actually began to believe that she was beautiful and that God had created her. And... This is part of the habitual thinking that we have. We have to renew our mind, and we have to post it in places that remind us, that speak to us, that um, our eye gate, our ear gate, our mind gets this new message in. We're seeing it, we're hearing it, we're believing it, we're meditating on it, and we're speaking it out loud. This is the process of stripping off, if you will, the old layers. Think about wallpaper and how you've got to peel it away and peel it away and peel it away until you get down to the true foundation. And she was peeling layers and layers and years and years of negative self-talk and uh, labels and curse words that she spoke and others spoke over herself. This is the truth that sets us free. And I just get so excited when I start to see the transformation and people and the joy that starts to come. And then the ability to dream and to risk and to think I actually can do something with my life other than curl up and sit and watch it run by and me miss out on all the great things God has in store for me.
1: Taking all thoughts captive and embracing our true identity in Christ. The Freedom Challenge, 60 Days to Untie the cords to Bind You, the new book, by the way, published by Redemption Press. You can follow along. It's available through The Usual Suspects, Amazon.com, Bay Area Christian Bookstores, or through Dawn's website at dawnscottdamon.com. Dawn, thanks so much for the time. We'll look forward to our visit next week.
2: Awesome. Thank you. God bless you.
0: And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts.
1: We often hear stories about people that struggle with um, addictions of one sort or another, or in other cases, people that deal with um, depression that uh, is not of their own choosing. Particularly in terms of a uh, a diagnosis of clinical depression, where people sometimes, in spite of their best efforts, are fighting a, a a monster that they just can't quite face and deal with. What does it mean? How do you address that? I think that uh, while we've made some great and significant strides in the mental health community in understanding what so-called clinical depression diagnosis is and how to treat it, how to deal with it, for a lot of us in the church, this is still kind of a big curiosity. It's a ministry. Um, Joining me now is a gentleman who had to deal with this in terms of um, his um, ministry partner being diagnosed with clinical depression that eventually ended up taking his life he talks about the story in a not-so-typical journey of a Mennonite actor. The book is called Laughter is Sacred Space. Ted Schwartz, great to have you on the show today.
3: Thank you very much. It's good to be with you.
1: Fascinating book and a lot of turns uh, and, I think, ways in which we can learn from your life story. Your, um, your beginnings are kind of unique in the sense that uh, you were studying in seminary and uh, had full-on plans to become a, a pastor in the Mennonite community there, part of the, uh, I guess, what, the Pennsylvania Dutch community.
3: Yeah, around that area, a little bit east of uh, what we generally consider to be the the classic Amish Mennonite, uh, Pennsylvania Dutch area, a little bit east of that, toward Philadelphia.
1: Okay, so that that, uh, general neck of the woods. And uh, along the way, uh, it sounds like God had different designs than you did. Is it fair to say it that way?
3: I think that's a pretty good way to say it. Yeah, I I, I think that I'm a person who... like many of us, I think we're confused by some of the directions that our lives seems to be taking, and, and uh, God's hand in that may may not be a very um, very visible at the time being. Makes an awful lot of sense uh, in retrospect. Um, I was supposed to be a, a, a traditional pastor in a pulpit, and uh, fell in love with theater while I was in seminary. And I was an older student, a non traditional student, married with three kids, three kids, and. Uh, had started um, a path uh, toward being an actor and writing writing uh, plays, and uh, I had met a uh, another quite talented comedic partner, um, Lee Eschelman and we began doing comedy together and then, and started working with biblical story and trying to find where the humor was in that story not not trying to make fun of something uh, by laying on the laughter on the outside. Um, I like to think of it as finding where the humanity and the humor connect and create. Uh, situations of humor and kind of trying to uh, feel out a character from the inside out.
1: How did your, your community, Ted, your family, you mentioned it was kind of a, a non-traditional trajectory for you anyway, yeah. insofar as the fact that you were already married and with the family, and I understand that. The congregation that was anticipating you to, to eventually uh, become their pastor was covering uh, your expenses and so forth, yes. and 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 yeah. you make this what it would from an outsider it appear to be this 180. How do you go from studying to become a a traditional Mennonite pastor, very stodgy and serious, <laughs> you know, as, as I guess some perspectives might be, to suddenly being a comedic actor on a stage, working with a uh, another partner in yeah. interpreting scripture, bringing scripture to life, finding the humor, again, not the ha-ha, let's make fun of it, a- a poke fun at it, rather, yeah. but to see the humanity side, as you say, of it all. It just it seems to be just two absolute opposite ends of the continuum.
3: Well, I think at one level it really does feel that way, and my congregation back home was not very happy with
0: me. Initially. I not. Huh? Uh,
3: <laughs> And my wife has been uh, extremely um, patient uh, over the years. As uh, Anyone who, who starts their own business then knows that the pieces of, of struggling to, uh, to make, make ends meet in that direction, too. I, I think I've come to the conclusion that makes an awful lot of sense, um, because um, I think theater can be a wonderful metaphor for how we're supposed to function as human beings. Um, uh, to be a good actor means that you're completely present in the moment. Uh, you, you have empathy. Uh, you care about another person. That's the only way you can feel like uh, you are connecting to one another on stage. There's a, a great deal of humility and vulnerability that happens when you're an actor on stage. And it makes a lot, a, a lot of sense um, uh, at one level. Uh, and also, um, it's storytelling. And, and story, stories remain one of, if not the best way, to communicate truth. And uh, to grab people's emotions and where their hearts are is to tell stories.
1: Does it make um, it easier to, to see other perspectives, too? And I ask that question, Ted, because let's face it, when you're, when you're an actor, you're, you're essentially becoming someone that you're not. And you're yeah, attempting you, to convince yeah. the audience that you're, you are this person whom you're not really. Yes, and when absolutely. you get into that position, does it allow you to see things from a different perspective? Is, is that is that how you maybe yeah. eventually were able to say, no, this full-time pastoring thing in a Mennonite church, no, that's not exactly what I'm called to do?
3: <laughs> I, I think that was a great deal of it. I think it's part of why it felt like home to me. I felt like I was finally where I was supposed to be. I think I would have been uh, perhaps a decent pastor, uh, but there's a good chance that I would have been a very frustrated pastor. Uh, theater allowed me to find places where I was able to use the gifts that I think I was given uh, much more fully. Um, and I think you're exactly right. You have to learn how um, to care about another person uh, to be able to fully adapt on stage and to be convincing that you're you're someone else. Um, it, theater and acting is a wonderful paradox of pretending to be someone else and being completely wholly who you are. Mm-hmm. The best actors are the ones that just open themselves up and let you see what's inside. And, and that is why it connects people that that we feel like are good actors because we can feel them being completely honest so to uh, be con, compli-
1: to be to be convincing to those of us that are on the other side of the stage or the screen as the case may yeah. be yeah. Um, you you have to take on so to speak enough of this character and demonstrate enough understanding and and sympathy, maybe to the point of empathy for who yes. this person is, maybe the plight that they are facing to, to be thoroughly convincing. And I'm wondering, did, did all of that experience help make it easy for you along the way in trying to make sense out of um, the, the, the horrific challenge that Lee was facing with a diagnosis of clinical depression?
3: Well, that's an interesting question. I, I, I think that uh, perhaps so, I'm not sure uh, an empathetic person will be drawn. I think to to, to the acting in the arts, uh, but it will also teach you. Uh, I think that's probably the case. It, it, it's you know it was a complicated relationship in many ways. We were we were best friends, um, but we were trying to negotiate this business as well as creatively. And anytime anybody uh, anyone tries to create something together, be it writing or writing music together, they know that there's certain tensions on, on, what, on, what, on what that means. And um, sometimes best friends shouldn't go into business, and sometimes they should. For us, it worked really well, um, the illness notwithstanding. Um, you, you spend an awful lot of time together when you have a traveling company. Uh, sometimes we spend more time with uh, one another than we did our wives. We used to joke about it being uh, our second marriage for each mm. us. Um, so um, I think that was part of it. I, I didn't know a lot about mental uh, illness in terms of depression and bipolar illness at all before we met Lee. Um, and so it was a very much of a learning process. You, you, you try to have as much empathy as you can for the struggles that they're going through, but sometimes life has to, life has to be lived and um, everything can't stop around, um, if there's a business to run, there's a family to run, his wife, you know they're raising a family as well, um, so yes, that that's very much the case. Uh, that it was helpful, but I think any struggle like that that you go together, there's going to be ups and downs with that. And
1: um, uh, and, and it sounds like there were in this case. I mean, you're you're sure. watching this happening. You're trying to understand what's happening, and yet at a level, I mean, I, I guess it's it's not as easy as it might. Seem to be when we say, well, just try to get into the other person's head, walk a mile in their shoes. This is, <laughs> this is, it takes it a little bit further than that, doesn't it?
3: Yeah, it is. It is. Um, it, there's only so much you can go. Um, uh, I think it was the illness that, that made, um, uh, I wouldn't call it a barrier, but there's some things that it's, it's impossible to know how someone else is feeling when they're when they're struck with an illness like that. Um, my own depression that I felt uh, after Lee's death and, and uh, trying to figure out what was next and, and what did it all mean and the grief that goes along with that. Uh, I remember thinking a couple of times, I said, uh, I, I know what this feels like to 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 try and function on a daily basis with something that is much worse. Um, I don't know how people do it. Um, that gave me a little bit of insight, but it... it, it I want to be very clear that it was nowhere anywhere close to to what you would have gone through on a regular basis where simply getting out of bed feels like it's the biggest struggle you're going to go through that day.
1: Yeah, I mean we're in a season, for example, this time of year when a lot of folks struggle with varying degrees of depression because it's a first major holiday with a loved one who was passed on. Uh, There's there's some sense of loss in life and uh, all of a sudden the holidays don't seem to mean as much as they used to and there may be folks listening to our conversation right now saying, you know, uh, Ted, Craig, I'm there right now. Uh, I struggle with getting out of bed in the morning. I'm not quite sure how to get myself motivated. Uh, It's every fiber within my being to get up, get dressed, and go to work and try to put on a happy face when I don't feel like doing any of that. Um, What does all of this mean? How do I address all of it? Um, Joining me today in the conversation, Ted Schwartz. Um, Ted, as we mentioned earlier, is a Mennonite actor um, who talks about life after uh, his creative partner took his own life, uh, following a a multi-year battle with bipolar illness uh, that he eventually succumbs to the disease. And uh, how do we deal with varying degrees of, um, be it depression to uh, one extreme, uh, to to outright uh, mental illness on another? We'll get back to more of our insights today right after an update on traffic.
0: And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts.
1: Back to our conversation today, Ted Schwartz is with us, his book, Laughter is sacred space. A uh, newly published, by the way, and uh, you can, of course, uh, order a copy through the usual suspects, including Amazon. dot com. And uh, Ted, is the book available also on your website? It is tedandcompany.com. and Company. dot com. And Company, uh, all spelled out. Correct. And and Company, all spelled out. Ted, I'm curious, how did you get word of Lee's decision?
3: Uh, I was making supper, and. Uh, I got a phone call from a mutual friend who was a neighbor uh, and it's not somebody you are not, you know, what's a friend, but it's not somebody I expect to hear from uh, around that time. And uh, she said, um, the words is someone with you and those are never good words oh. here. And uh, said, you need to come over. Um, it didn't tell me exactly why, but it, it didn't take a lot of imagination to, to, uh, figure that out
1: in the moment uh, we say we're shocked we're surprised but thinking back on it is it fair to say that there were enough signs there that you might have seen some of this coming
3: i i think the words that i used and I, and I think a number of other people use the same words for similar situation is you're you're surprised but not shocked or yeah. you're shocked but not surprised yeah um, it's those kind of those kind of issues that um um that I think anyone who's, who's been touched by it at all, uh, if, if from a very close or personal basis, would, would feel familiar. That's that's a good way to describe it.
1: Yeah. On the backside, what would you say that you've learned from this? I mean, we look at these tragedies, uh. and I know we go through the, <laughs> gee, what should I, what could I have done differently? What could I have said? How could we have intervened or helped? All of those questions immediately flood through your mind, and and we we struggle with. But then, as we try to make sense of it all. We try to find the, uh, what do you say, the, the proverbial silver lining in this cloud, things of that sort.
3: Uh, I have started to uh, be in conversation with a young man of a similar age that Lee was, who was struggling with a similar issue. He's very talented. He's not an actor, but we've uh, done some work together with uh, from the technical um, video aspect of it again. And I think it's to be there, to be listening as much as possible, to be empathetic as much as possible, to encourage them to see professional help, uh, if medication is part of uh, a prescribed um, um, uh, regimen, that that you listen, uh, that you listen, and uh, what, what happens many times is, is, especially from people who have um, perhaps a spiritual or religious background, uh, maybe you're a Christian and you feel like this is not something my my well-being should not be dependent upon something that comes in a bottle, and we. Uh, and it's sometimes um, they go off medication, um, that that can be very dangerous. Um, that's often a trigger point. Um, for a, a deeper crash, um, which um, can have similar results, not always, but it could. Um, what I've learned, oh my. Um, I think what I've, what I've learned mostly, uh, you would say, is that uh, the depth of, of, of care and the depth of spirit within the community that I'm in right now is much much deeper than I had imagined that it might be. Um, what I've learned about dealing with someone with this particular issue is that um, um, you can you can be there as much as you as you can, um, knowing that there are other forces, there are other illnesses that you, you just can't fix. Um no no amount of talking or listening that i that I could do would change that
1: um. <sighs> and 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 what you said, I think there's perhaps significant because so often we get into the well, if I just said this or somehow that somehow we we convince ourselves that we can talk somebody out yeah. of clinical depression. this is not. An individual who simply is having a difficult time, sort of, uh, shall we say, connecting right. the dots in life, and uh, one or one or two good lessons from a slightly older American will set them no. on the right path. No. Uh, this goes much, <laughs> much deeper than that, and, and 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 maybe the efforts in trying to convince ourselves that we could have said something that would have changed it all miraculously uh, is 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 really torturing ourselves at a level, isn't it?
3: I think it is, and that's that's the one thing that I continue to. Uh, to struggle with. I actually talked to another another um, uh, radio station this this morning, um, uh, and I've started, I have started. I've written a, a one man show based on the book, um, based on my experience, not just with Lee, but a large portion of it is relating to Lee and the discovery of art and theater together, and and uh, and his suicide and what that meant. And that um, it's not uh, original with me by any means, but mourning is. The act of mourning is a, is just that an action. You choose to mourn. You choose to do the things that are self care. Um, it's a decision that you make. Uh, grief is completely different in that you don't know when it's going to show up. And um, it it and and I, I say in the play that I, I made the uh, the sarcastically a brilliant I say it sarcastically a brilliant decision to not make a decision to mourn but instead to work harder to recreate myself and my business as, a, as an acting company and then to fight the grief and the ways that we fight the grief sometimes is not always but sometimes is to deny, deny its existence by convincing yourself that you didn't care that much that it didn't matter that much it's the way that we try and protect ourselves
1: and as a coping the- mechanism
3: it's a coping mechanism. It's a dead end. It's, it's uh, what I say in the plays. it's a bit like taking a rancid piece of meat and throwing it behind the couch and hope no one notices. <laughs> um, you know it's going to catch up to you sooner or later, but you just try and hide it. Yeah. Um, and, and that, um, I think it's the biggest thing that I've learned, is that, um, um, <laughs> that that's not a very wise thing to do.
1: Does this also force change you? To- does it force you to become more forward-looking? And by that, I mean, oftentimes we'll get stuck in the past on this thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, There was a suicide in my family many years ago, and boy, the amount of time that that many of us spent on all the what-ifs and gee whizzes and so forth. And yet, I think instead of, you know, while there is a time of mourning and certainly the time of grief, then to say, okay, instead of channeling our energies into what we can never change because it's done, what can we do moving forward to be more sensitive, more caring, more empathetic? Put more into life, get more out of it, and 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 maybe make make things better for somebody else. If not for them, for somebody else.
3: I think that's I think that's a, a great sentiment. It is ex- astoundingly hard to do when you're in the middle of it. Um, I think that's ultimately where we need to end up. And I think um, I can't speak for Lee, obviously, but I think that's where he would want want me to be. Um, I I I think what what, what truncated my 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 recovery uh, and healing out of that is I um, I chose not to recognize the deep grief that was there and moved forward a bit too quickly. Um, part of that part of what happened when Lee died is not simply losing a friend; it was losing the business as well. So, if I was going to maintain my company, I had to, um, in essence, um, recreate uh, an entire um, inventory. Um, so I just began writing and wrote eight shows in two years and ten shows in three years um, to to create a new identity to create a new brand because um, most people that knew us as a company assumed that the that the company was gone and so it was coupled it, it wasn't just losing my best friend it was losing um, it was losing a source of income it was losing uh, I, you know, all the inventory, as it were, uh, was intellectual material that was uh, stuck in our heads. That was the inventory. Um, so, uh, I probably moved a little too quickly, but I think overall your sentiment is correct. There's very little that can happen in moving um, moving back, but it's it's a difficult thing to fight guilt. Um, guilt is such a powerful um, piece that that moves forward. Uh, anger is another. Negative energy that that is easy to hang on to, um, and both of those can be debilitating toward moving forward. And a combination of guilt and anger, boy, it just keeps you spinning.
1: Yeah, oh. and it can be terribly uh, paralyzing too in the end game. Ted, we appreciate the time and the candor today. I know it's a, a painful topic to to relive in a sense, and yet out of your pain and your your insights, you offer us uh, oddly enough a lot of the pastoral care that you set out to to prepare yourself to do in the first place. Isn't it amazing the way the Lord brings things full circle? Ted Schwartz, Laughter is Sacred Space, the not-so-typical journey of a Mennonite actor. And the new book, as we mentioned, is newly published by Herald Press and available through Ted's website at tedandcompany.com.
0: And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts.
1: Our conversation today is with Mennonite actor Ted Schwartz. The book is called Laughter is Sacred Space, a not-so-typical journey of a Mennonite actor. This journey from studying to become a full-time pastor to discovering the the arts and then moving in a ministry direction that way, and then the diagnosis that we mentioned earlier of your partner Lee struggling with a clinical diagnosis of of depression to the point of being bipolar. We talked earlier, Lee, about uh, folks being depressed around the holidays, and that certainly can be a challenge. But Lee's uh, Lee's disease went much deeper than that, didn't it?
3: Yes, it did. It was it was the kind that. Um, well, I describe it at one time. It's it's the uh, it's the constant companion. It's the monster that hides not just under the bed, but around every corner. It's it's part of uh, part of every day. It's part of. Um, it's uh, I, I call it sometimes the demon that sits on the shoulder and whispers in your ear. Mm. Um, it's it, it's hard to um, it's hard to really articulate some of the issues that we that seem to to deal with. Medication is an important part of anybody's treatment, medication and therapy. Um, but that can uh, most of those have uh, at least at some level um, medication. I mean side effects that affect also. Uh, who you are as a person and, and it, uh, it it can be frustrating because you don't think you you are who you uh, are at the core of your being um, for some it, it becomes um, uh, a spiritual dilemma and uh, I really don't think it it, it should be um, people cast themselves in in, in, in in being distanced from God because they have this particular illness and, it, and I think it's a uh, it's a horrific um, I'm not sure I'd call it a mistake, a misnomer about, about what it is.
1: How, um, how did you discover, how did you first find out about Lee's passing? Well,
3: it, in, in, many, in many cases, apparently, uh, in young men in their early uh, early to mid-20s, it can it can uh, surface. Um, so I met Lee when he was 23, and uh, so there were certain, certain hints of it before that. And uh, I was in full-time school, uh, in uh, finishing college and then going into seminary, so I had a certain amount of of, um, life that I was doing there with a family of three boys, um, uh, very young, four, four, two, and six months when I started school. Uh, So I and my wife were were really engrossed in that, so it wasn't until they and I began uh, to do a bit more work together and started seeing each other as, as, as friends and friends of the family. He was still single at the time. So it was within two years that it started Surface and um, um, I mean everybody has points where they're despondent, um, but they usually see that there's. Uh, oftentimes, we can see that there's a light at the end of the tunnel, and we, we help. We talk to people. We we talk to pastors, or we talk to friends. We talk to counselors. You get professional help, and you can find your way through it. Uh, for me, it just seemed to be uh, uh, something that that the yo-yo, the manic manic parts were were exhilarating and scary at the same time because he was tremendously creative. Uh, he, was a, he was a visual artist and he was a, a wonderful actor at the same time. So he'd be wonderfully creative at those times. Um, I think uh, a 20 to 30 year uh, struggle with this um, can wear you down. Um, so where that the highs are no longer very high, uh, but the lows continue to be low. Um, uh, that's what I, I feel like I've experienced with Lee and, it, 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 at the point where he, he had taken his life, it didn't feel like it was too, in, in my mind, tremendously different than any other events over the previous 10 to 15 years.
1: And, you know, we often hear that, that yeah. we look at these, these circumstances immediately surrounding a person's decision to take their own life. Yeah. And you say, well, you know, the day before, the day yeah. of, they, I saw them that morning. They seemed to be quite normal. Yeah, a couple of things had happened the day before that might have added a bit to the stress, but didn't seem That's to be right. anything over the the top, anything extraordinary. But you mentioned yeah. something, uh, and uh, maybe it was just in, in quick passing, but I think profound observation, Ted, and that is the idea that this tends to wear you down after okay. a time, that this is not a single event but layer upon layer upon layer. Am I right? Exactly,
3: exactly. We... We had attended a concert the night before, uh, about two hours away, with another mutual friend, and had a wonderful time. Three It was guys' night out. We we had a, a great time, and then the next that morning, uh, we set up for a show. We were due to do two performances locally, Friday and Saturday night, and we set up on Thursday morning. Um, so all of those things seemed very familiar. Um, there was, I, I knew he was agitated, or, or I should say, he was he was uh, anxious. Um, but that, that didn't seem to be anything tremendously different. And, um, you know, in, in, in almost 20 years on the road, we missed um, one show for a snowstorm and um, a second half of a show because I fell and, and uh, contuded my arm uh, on the edge of the stage. But in 20 years, that's the only shows we've ever missed. So it never entered my mind that we would miss a show mm.
1: um, for this particular reason. Let's pause on that point. We're going to come back to more of our conversation Uh, with us today is actor Ted Schwartz. A look at his book, Laughter is Sacred Space. I'm Craig Roberts, back with more as Lifeline continues.